Welcome to Paddling the Blue. With each episode, we talk with guests from the Great Lakes and around the globe who are doing cool things related to sea kayaking. I'm your host, my name is John Chase, and let's get started Paddling the Blue. Welcome to today's episode of Paddling the Blue. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us, and if you're a regular listener, we appreciate you coming back. Today I'm joined by Jonathan Hearn and Katie Sylvester. Jonathan and Katie embarked on an 88-day trip along the main coast and through the Canadian Maritimes. So join us for their adventure to hear about the gift they gave themselves and their experience through this amazing coastline. Now, just before we dive into today's episode, if you are looking for that special gift for that special paddler, or maybe yourself, we've got you covered. If you recall, Simon Osborne was a guest on episode 41, and he and James Stevenson have created a great online coaching resource, OnlineSeaKayaking.com. As of now, they've got 14 different courses and over 30 hours of high-quality video to help you maximize your time when you're on the water. They've agreed to offer a special deal for Paddling the Blue podcast listeners. So if you're not already a subscriber, here's your chance. Visit OnlineSeaKayaking.com and use the coupon code PTBPODCAST, that's Paddling the Blue Podcast, PTB, at checkout, and you'll get 10% off up to 12 months of your subscription investment. You'll find a link in the show notes, so check it out. And this is just another benefit of being a Paddling the Blue podcast listener. So with that, enjoy today's episode with Jonathan and Katie. Hi, Jonathan and Katie. Welcome to Paddling the Blue today. Hi, John. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having us. So I'm really interested in getting into your story, but first let's set the background. What got you started on this journey? Well, that's a good question. I, Yeah, I've been uh, paddling since in my 20s. I did a lot of river paddling. I did some instruction I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, and that's where I started my paddling. And uh, I grew into doing a fair amount of sea kayak, and I've paddled the Puget Sound. I've paddled uh, most of the Washington coast, a little bit of the Queen Charlottes and all the San Juans. And then I stepped away from that a bit, and I was scuba diving for quite a few years. And I was fortunate to uh, meet Katie. She came down and did some scuba diving with me and got certified with me. And then... uh, we decided we had a transition and we decided to go on this paddle i'll let katie talk a little bit about her experience all right i've always loved the outdoors done quite a bit of hiking i was uh in the coast guard on a ship in alaska so always loved the water but really hadn't done any sea kayaking did some canoeing in the boundary waters in minnesota where i'm from so when i met john i was kind of excited to glean his knowledge of sea kayaking and we took a uh, my first sea kayaking trip was actually a couple years ago in Maine we went for two weeks hopped from island to island and I kind of fell in love with it so we were both looking for a break I've been working in the emergency department for the last 15 years and just kind of wanted to take a break and do a detox so we set our sights on a more extended trip um, allowing ourselves kind of an open-ended timeline. So we picked roughly a timeline of two to three months and uh, we loved Maine so much we decided to return there for this venture. Okay. So you did an 88-day expedition with pretty much no plan and you're still together. (laughs) We are. (laughs) We are. We are, yeah. Yeah, it definitely, I mean, you're exposed when you're in the elements all of the time. You know, when you're on the water, the sun's on you. When you get to camp, the mosquitoes are on you. So you're in the elements all of the time. So it definitely 
can bring out some of the best and and the worst in each other. And we kind of reminded each other at the beginning of the trip, usually if someone's a little cranky, it usually means we need a rest or a nap or food. And so we kind of tried to remind ourselves of that, you know, in, in the moments where you kind of are less than your best self. But yeah. Yeah, I think the other the other gift of it was that we didn't put a lot of pressure on distance destination. It was more about really experiencing the places we were, and you know, if you needed a down day, we took a down day, and we went hiking on the island or did a closer paddle, or there was just not a lot of pressure, and it was really about just experiencing the main coast. And when it's like that, you know, if the weather's good, which it was because we were in a drought, there's not a lot to get upset about. All right. So, Jonathan, walk us through the uh, the route you took. Yeah. So we we launched in Portland, Maine, and a gift we had was that Katie's son Kyle was being our shuttle driver, and he ended up having a few days at the beginning of the trip. So we actually, at the last minute, rented a boat, and he came with us for a couple of days. So we actually we paddled out to Little Shabig from Portland experienced our first gear malfunction and but fortunately we had to paddle him back to the car anyway so home depot is right there and we resolved those issues and then after that it was really just about heading north and that's what we did i mean the main coast has 640 islands i think a large majority of them because of the main island trail association and some other conservation groups uh, have camping on them so you can almost pull up Navionics and throw a pin and you're going to find a campsite. And so it just really made it fairly easy just to kind of head north. Our thought was to get to Canada, but we made it a little bit further than that. So walk us through the route, basically. <laughs> That's a big question. <laughs> it changed so much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we were all over the place. We. <laughs> We really were, you know, I mean, there were days I'd get up and say to Katie, like, do you want to go get a coffee? And we would just find the local, the closest port and go get coffee and hang out and then paddle the next island. It, so it's really hard to be descriptive about the exact destination points. Yeah. We could plot those out. But you went from you know, from Port, from Portland on up to where and then, and then back, just kind of a, a quick, if you had to give a 15-second synopsis of what that would like. And then we'll get into detail on some of the more areas. So essentially, we went from Portland, Maine, north, hopping from island to island, up to Lubeck, Maine, which is right across the border from Canada. And from there, we hopped across and kept going northward into New Brunswick to St. John, and then took the ferry across the Bay of Fundy to Digby in Nova Scotia, and then began paddling again down the Digby Neck out to the Tuscan Islands, which is in the southeast section of Nova Scotia, and then backtracked to Yarmouth. So you had to plan something. So what, what parts of it did you plan, and then, then where did it start to go off the, off the rails, I guess I might say? <laughs> yeah, so we, I think we did a fair amount of gleaning from, we really used the Main Island Trail Association guidebook. Okay. Um, so it's cut down into regions, and I, would, I, I spent a fair amount of time looking at the guidebook and looking at what islands made sense to be and our days varied in paddling anywhere from two hours to six hours was probably the most amount of time we spent on the water each day. 
So I kind of looked at that and where there might be ports. We pulled in about every seven to 10 days to a marina or town to get fresh water. There's no fresh water supplies out on the islands. And since we were primarily staying on islands, we had to plan to get in to resupply. So we had a vague idea, um, like in the southern part, there's Booth Bay, Winter Harbor is across the bay from Bar Harbor. So we had a a rough idea of how long seven to 10 days was. And then within that, we kind of hopped from island to island as we made our way up the coast, depending on weather, tides, how we were feeling. And I think we, yeah, and we had about, uh, we figured it would take us anywhere from six to eight weeks to do the coast of Maine. So that was our, our rough timeline. And then anything into Canada was just kudos on top of that. And we ended up spending another month in Canada. What was your motivation for this specific trip? So really, this was, it was a life change for both of us. I kind of, you know, I quit my job, sold my place, sold my possessions, and we wanted to just kind of have a detox out in nature and motivate others to see some of this beautiful coastline. You know, like I said, a couple of years ago, we had paddled and really kind of fell in love with the main coastline and wanted to share it. I have a lot of friends who don't spend a lot of time in the outdoors, have never been in a tent, and they were really intrigued about what we were doing. So um, we also wanted to share this experience with people. So we filmed and documented along the way. So that was some of our inspiration as well. One of the things that I was thinking about as I was uh, thinking about our interview is, you know, how did you get time away from, from life? and you just you just described the it there. Question. You just sold it all and, and quit. quit the job quit and said life. that's it. Yeah. <laughs> that's <Yeah>. awesome. <laughs> yeah, you know. and that is, you know, I did um hiking a few years ago and did a section on the Appalachian Trail and I would ask everyone I met, so where are you in life? How could you get time off of work? Because that's what people want to know, right? How do you have the luxury to have three months to be out here? Um and I often found people that were between jobs or retired or I would encourage anyone when you're in a transition point or life break to just seize that time because it, it is hard to do when you're embroiled in life. Sure. So, uh, so John, what, what did you experience along the way? I guess share us a, with a few of those things. Oh, so many different things. I think for me, it was a lot of fun. And I don't know if it annoys Katie. I say this all the time, but it was really fun to watch her progress in her paddling. You know, before we went up there, we, she had a 10-day trip under her belt, and we did rescue for a day or so, and she just really grew a lot as a paddler. And there was moments where the weather was tough or the wind was against us, and I'd look over, and I could see her going through things that I'd gone through before, of like, oh, well, there's no option here. I just have to keep paddling. I got to make do. And so that was a lot of fun for me. And then just the main coast is so spectacular. I can't. I can't express how with all the little speckled islands and all the places to say, stay, every single spot is different and they're relatively close together and they're accessible. And then in today's world, there wasn't many people out there. I think there was five islands that we saw another person on the whole time. And there was only a handful of wreck boats. Of course, there were a lot of lobster boats around, but not enough that you were overwhelmed by them at all. I think those were the two things that really, really stood out to me. And then just being in Maine, the sunsets and the sunrises were incredible. There, everyone was worth being there for. 
Wow. So uh, did you camp most of the time or did you have other opportunities for uh, other lodging? We did go to town a few times to get a hotel. We did that in Booth Bay and we did that in Lubeck. You know, every once in a while we would get a hotel and clean all our gear and shower and laundry. And that was a good reminder to me of what it's like to not have those conveniences readily available because it takes a full day to get through all your stuff, (laughs) if not two. So we did go to town on occasion or once in a while we stayed in an RV park because they had showers. But for the most part, we camped out on our own. So, Katie, you mentioned earlier water, and you mentioned fresh water. So mm-hmm. you didn't carry any fresh Well, you carried fresh water with you for that week? Yes. We had dromedary bags that we, we started with 30 liters of water. We kind of gauged how much we would need for cooking and hydration. But we found that there were just there were so many spots that we could stop. If we were running low on water, we could just pull into a town dock and fill our dromedary bags. So we ended up, I think, whittling down to about 26 liters of water total because, right, you can't filter seawater and there's no freshwater supply on the islands. But we were self-supported, had all our camping gear, a cook kit, fresh. We actually ate pretty well. We're uh, we did not do dehydrated meals. We like to eat well. So, and in a kayak, weight is not as much of an issue as it is when you're hiking and have it on your back. So, we ate pretty well and had our own camp stove, everything we needed. So, favorite meal? What was it? Ooh, I would have to say we do a pretty mean pad thai dinner, a vegetable pad thai, and then my breakfast. A coconut quinoa with berries and like freeze-dried berries and nuts. Did you get your fill of lobster while you were out there too? Yes, we did. <laughs> we did. That was actually one of the highlights in the northern part of Maine. Uh, we stopped at an island called Sheep Island and it was a favorite spot for the locals to go and day picnic. And we happened to pull up and there was an eighth generation lobsterman there and his wife that were cooking up seafood on a fire on the beach and we sat and chatted with them for a while and then another group came people that had moved up to maine and they both recommended that we hop across the bay to visit a gentleman named bub who had a dock and he was would receive lobsters from i think he had seven or eight lobster boats that he took lobster from and then he would sell them to the larger markets and so we paddled across the bay the next day and got lobster literally right off the boat there. And he told us how to build a fire on the beach, wrap it in seaweed, steam it um, over the fire. And that was definitely the best lobster I've ever had in my life. But that was really, really, really neat to learn how I've never cooked lobster over a fire before. So that was really neat. So you mentioned uh, 26 to up to 30 liters of water. That's a still a pretty good amount of water to carry with you. That's a lot of mm-hmm. dynamic weight. So how did that affect the boat? That was a weight rebalancing every day. And we kind of played around with my boat was definitely sensitive to balance and wanted to weather vane into the wind. So if I had a following wind, I was just fighting my boat. So we kind of figured out, you know, how to best put that weight of the water because you're right, that is probably the heaviest part of our packing. So we kind of shuffled around and figured if I was stern heavy, I did a little bit better. So um, as we drank water, we kind of had to re- reshuffle our packing around. 
And then, John, we were very good about utilizing the ends of our boats because, I don't know if you know this, but beer bottles and beer cans fit really well up in the, in the bow and the stern. <laughs> and so we had, a, we had some additional liquor in that regard, or water, I should say, or moisture. <laughs> and that worked quite well, too, to kind of help balance out the boats a fair amount. Because nothing else fits there. <laughs> yeah. Eggs. Yeah. You can get uh, eggs, in their, eggs in their carton. They'll fit right up in the... Oh, that's the... true. I guess that's true. That's true. Yeah. We actually had water. I had about a six liter, two six liter water bags that were at my feet. So I had to put them in my cockpit. So it made for an interesting entry and exit. As I mentioned, we were trying to document along the way. So he had a whole setup with a solar panel to charge electronics and a Pelican box with a battery that sat between his legs. So we got kind of creative on our, on our packing space. So with that much water, did you really have that much gear? Oh, we had a fair amount of gear. My boat was definitely at the seam line in the water, if not a little bit below at times. But we were pretty amazed. Like, we used everything that we brought except for a water filter we brought for emergencies. And every other piece of equipment got used throughout the trip. And there was not a time, except for an occasional tool when we were having some equipment issues, that I thought we had forgotten anything. So we did quite well. We both had 16 and a half foot boats and they were definitely packed, but I would not say they were the most packed I've ever had before. Like we were pretty good. We loaded and unloaded the boats very efficiently. We didn't spend hours and hours doing it. We did fight the tide a little, but we were really efficient in making it all fit. And we know we had one bag of clothes for town that we <laughs> wore when we did laundry. That's the only time we wore it. And otherwise, everything else was used all the time. So we did pretty good. So you had 88 days and you never had to filter water. There was no place really to filter water. You know, there's no freshwater source, really. I guess I guess there's one island that had a freshwater well we could have, but we just would go to town. You know, you, you're on the main coast there and people live on the coast and there's little harbors everywhere. So, you know, if you're going, you could, if you really wanted to, you could go up there for 20 days and never go to town. But they are accessible. It's not completely out of the way to go somewhere and, and do laundry and get water and liquor and food. So, John, you mentioned earlier malfunction on day one, so kind of a gear malfunction. So tell <laughs> yeah. us a little bit about that one. Yeah. So when Katie and I decided to do this, we needed to find some boats because we didn't have boats at the time. And I randomly on, I think it was paddling.com, found a, a lady who was selling a couple boats down in Mississippi we were living in Connecticut. We drove all the way to Mississippi and got these two boats because the price was so spectacular. Uh, my boat was a little bit, quite a bit older than Katie's. They're both valley boats. Hers was a Nord cap. Mine was an Aquanaut, or I called it the Aquanati. And the big, the big struggle we had with mine on the first day was uh, both boats had a skeg, and the fitting that attaches to the housing on my skeg broke. And so when I got to camp the first night, my stern was two-thirds full of water, which, you know, there's going on there. I had Katie and her son, and I was the one with the most experience, and throughout the day I felt oddly tippy, and I didn't say anything because I didn't want to start the trip being like, there's something wrong, and then we got there, and we took the hatch cover off, and it's full of water, <laughs> and so there's a little stress there, and I pulled it up and put it on the table, and I could see it's just a, it's a plumbing fitting that seals that up and I was a little nervous because it's a British boat and I thought maybe we won't be able to find the right fitting 
Uh, but we did. We went to Home Depot and we sorted it all out and put it back together. And it worked for the rest of the trip and it's still that way now. But it was definitely a stressor in the beginning. All right. You still have the boats? We still have the boats, although mine is good to go in the repair shop when we have some time because these boats, when we bought them, the owner had passed away and the family had stored them out in the sun quite a bit and so much so that the rubber hatch covers had completely deteriorated. So I took the boats down, we cleaned them all, we got new hatch covers, redid all the lines on it. But what I didn't quite fathom was that the sun had eroded the seat so much because the seat was plastic even though the boats were fiberglass and throughout the trip the trip my seat just kept breaking and breaking which reefed on the screws which allowed water in where the posts were hold, holding the seat where the screws were holding the seat and so that all needs to be shored up I guess. So Katie what other unexpected things happened along the way? I think one of the most, two of the most challenging days were once we got across the Bay of Fundy and we were paddling along this area called the Digby Neck on the southwest side of Nova Scotia. Um, We kind of didn't, Canada was a little bit more of an unknown. We didn't have, there's not a network for campsites. So we tried to use a combination of Google Earth to try to figure out where we might land or camp each night. We tried to do a lot of research, but there's really not a lot of information about paddling in Canada per se for sea kayakers. There's information about day trips, but not as much for overnight sites. So we paddled outside the Digby Neck and had talked to a local, but it turns out his information was more about sailboating, I think, and the landing sites that he said we could stop at were not winnable. There's, you know, about a 25 to 30 foot tidal range there. So that means the beach looks very different at low tide and high tide. And most of it was rocky boulders that were just, you couldn't approach. And the days that we were there was 20, 25 mile an hour winds, which were much stronger than predicted. So that was kind of unexpected and uncomfortable being in a boat with no place to stop and no prospect of stopping. So we just had to continue on. So that was about five days in a boat with no break. And we decided to press off that morning with no coffee or breakfast either. So that made for a really long day, just not being nourished. But that, you know, contrast with the days where you have gorgeous glassy mornings with hardly a ripple and made me really appreciate those times when I was on the water. John had mentioned earlier, talking a little bit about skills and uh, how your skill level changed throughout the trip. So Mm -hmm. tell us, tell us about that. Well, being in a sea kayak, I had, you know, been in plastic rental boats before, but being in a sea kayak is like being in a fancy sports car and you feel the water under you, you feel the tippiness of it. And I think when we first started out and got in some big seas or wake, I would definitely be a little bit more on edge. I settled into my boat and felt like it was more just a part of me and would just kind of roll with the waves and feel comfortable in that. We had a phrase as time went on, everything's better in the boat. There were times at camp, we'd love to do sunrise paddles, but the mosquitoes were brutal at that hour. So you'd be swarmed by mosquitoes. As soon as you got onto the water, just beautiful. Everything's better in the boat. So there was one detour we took. We went up the Kennebec River 
and down the Sassanoa, which is in about mid-Maine. And John kind of hatched this plan. They have two areas called Lower and Upper Hellgate and have currents that rip through there. And he suggested that we go up this river and down. And of course, I was panicked thinking about currents of several knots. I couldn't possibly do that and lost sleep over it, even thinking about doing it. But kind of knew I had to be in it to push my skills. And once we ran through there, I thought, oh, gosh, that was so much fun. I don't I can't believe I was worried about that. So I think just exposure and getting better at reading the water and and just kind of settling into my boat, not being jittery. That grew as the time went on. Katie, what would you say was the moment of greatest joy on the trip? I think there was one particular sunrise paddle the sun was rising at that time at about five o'clock in the morning. So that required a 3 a.m. wake up to take down camp, pack the boats. That was always about an hour, hour and a half venture. And we paddled from an island called Hurricane to Vinyl Haven, which is also a larger island off the coast of Maine. We had heard about a breakfast place that opened at 4 a.m. till 10 a.m., mostly for the fishermen. So we got up early and paddled across. It was probably probably about an hour, hour and a half paddle. And it was just sheer mercury glass. And as the sun came up, it was a spectacular sunrise. Just pink, purple, still, still, still. And the birds all around us. So I think that was a moment of pure zen. How about you, John? Ooh, man, we had so many, it was, it's hard to even start. I'll start, one of my favorite places was Halifax Island. It's a beautiful little island that, it, the, the way you camp, you're just facing the sunsets. And we were there for two nights and both sunsets were just, you didn't even have the words to describe all the beautiful oranges and pinks that were coming. And you just sat there in awe, quite, quite wonderful to experience that. And then I think some of the big crossings, like Katie's saying, at, at sunrise, you know, I, uh, the older I get, the harder it is to get up at sunrise, but the more it's worth it. <laughs> Every time you get up, it's just, it's just incredible the way the sun comes up. And then also at that time of day, the water turns to this kind of slow-moving mercury kind of water that just carries you, floats you right along. And, of course, there's porpoise coming up, and there's birds flying around, and you just feel like you're in another world and it feels very safe uh, because of the calmness. And we had two or three or four of those days on the whole trip that really just stand out as being so, you were just in another time and place and time stood still during that time. Very wonderful. Interesting that, uh, you know, the, you know the, the sun's going to come up every day. and mm -hmm. But every day you're still just amazed by the beauty of that sunrise. Something about yeah. it. Yes. So, yeah. Something about it, never it for gets sure. old. Wildlife experiences. John, you mentioned some wildlife experiences in there. Tell us a little bit about, mm -hmm. bit about some wildlife experiences that you had along the way. Uh, we saw quite a bit of porpoise, which are a lot of fun. In fact, one day uh, there was about seven or eight of them that came right at Katie, and, and it was like they didn't know she was there, and at the last minute just dove underneath her. I mean, <laughs> they, she could have almost touched them with her hand. They were right there. Really, really incredible. The seals were a lot of fun, and it was interesting to hear them. We heard them one morning at daybreak, 
And I think it's the siren sound almost of the ocean when they talk about the siren sound. They were off making these ghostly sounds and we didn't know what they were at first. And then as the light came up, we could see all the seals about a quarter mile out on this rock bluff. But very, very interesting sounds there. And then also the experience of the male seals being fairly aggressive. They like to come up about mid-torso and smack their head on the water to scare you away from their females or their area. And they'll follow you for quite some distance, you know, quite, quite a long distance they'll follow you, which is quite fun as well. Uh, we did see some whales. We saw what we believe was a pilot whale. We saw some minke whales, which were really cool. Bald eagles, uh, heron rookeries, just lots of that. And I would say probably our most exciting experience that we had with wildlife is we were having a really tough day coming down the Digby Coast and there were three herons that kind of flew out ahead of us and landed. And as we were paddling, we're like, oh, look, there's some more herons. Nope, same herons. And they led us for about eight miles down the coast, just flying out in front of us and then landing on the shore, waiting for us to catch up and then flying out ahead again. And I think the only reason they didn't keep doing that was that a juvenile bald eagle came off the cliff and scared them away. And in that moment of the challenges of the wind and the challenges of the day and the fact that we didn't have coffee that morning, those herons really kind of kept us going and making it easier to paddle. So that was pretty incredible. Yeah, it's, kind of, it's pretty cool that they uh, seem to follow you along there. So while you weren't living in five-star hotels, you weren't necessarily roughing it every single night. Um, so how did you finance the trip? Well, we set aside, um, yeah, I would say that was extra work shifts that I picked up before, before I left my job. I kind of, we, we were pretty low budget, kind of set, set a budget for our trip. And after we bought the boats, we tried not to, we couldn't overbuy on gear because there's only limited packing supply. And yeah, so I would say I just, I picked up extra shifts at work before I, before we headed off and we just kind of kept it in mind we want to stay below this amount we really only stayed we stayed on shore i think four different times in three months so pretty much we were in our tent so do you mind me asking what the trip cost you aside from aside from the boats you know i have to say we didn't even we haven't tallied it all totally so to be fair i i don't even know that i could put a number on it so what advice would you have for others who want to do something in this magnitude but don't feel they can do it due to time or skills or money or, or whatever. Around Stonington, Maine, that's a great beginner or not even just beginner, but the resources are super easy there. There's tons of islands. You could rent a boat. Um, there are several kayak companies out of Stonington or around the area where you could rent a boat. So if you felt that you didn't have the skill or were intimidated, you could go with a guided group. Or if you had other sea kayaking experience elsewhere, you could rent a boat and go out for even a week long trip um, is really doable in that area. The islands are very close. There's lots of options. As you go further along in northern Maine, it's the islands are more spread out. So it's more of a commitment if you want to travel some ground but really anywhere along Maine you could feasibly do a three to seven day trip pretty easily if you backtrack to where you launched from now how about a, a trip of the magnitude like you've done how would you how would you share that with someone and say you know this is how you could do this kind of trip 
You know, it's actually the same formula. We kind of talked about this. Once you've done even a couple day trip, it's just on repeat. Like the items that you need in terms of if you've done any kind of self-supported camping, it's the same tent, the same cook kit, the same water supply. So it's really just on repeat. In terms of our nav- uh, navigation, we use Navionics and weather apps to kind of look ahead and know where we are going and what the weather had in store for us. As we mentioned, the Maine Island Trail Association was a definite must resource for anyone in Maine. Um, you can get an electronic app or a hard copy guidebook that lists where the landing sites are, where the campsites are, details about each island. And then the Maine Coast Heritage Trust is also another network of campsites, islands. Some are day day hike use only, some are overnight camping. So with those resources, I would say just you could go on their websites and start reading about the layout and Navionics or any navigation app is a great tool to start. It's as if you're laying a map out in front of you, I guess, looking at the route. But if you're thinking about it, I would encourage anyone to do just a couple day trip or an overnight trip. And then really the formula is the same. You just do it on repeat. I would say the Main Island Trail Association is pretty amazing. I think it's 35 bucks for an annual membership. And with that, you get a guidebook. And even if you don't ever plan on paddling, man, get the guidebook and just look. It's amazing how readily available everything is. You know, as opposed to paddling like the Inside Passage or even in the Puget Sound, anybody could really do a fairly easy trip because it's fairly protected. Everything is fairly close together, and you could go out there and be lost for weeks at a time. The one thing to consider in Maine is there is some fog so you have to be prepared to have some downtime with fog and or just be aware, have Navionics, have, have a way to be able to kind of plan for that, that eventuality. But, man, it, it is it's, Maine is amazing. One of our saints or one of the things I was often thought when I was paddling there is I only have to make it to the next lobster pot, and there's <laughs> millions of them. <laughs> and there's a great psychological benefit if you haven't done a lot of paddling to that because the next lobster pot's not that far, and once you make that one, the next one's not that much further compared to crossings I've done in the Puget Sound where it's a two- or three-mile paddle, and there's there's current. You don't feel like you're going anywhere. With the lobster pots, you feel like you're just moving right along. Anyone could go to Maine that has done a couple nights in a kayak before and easily do weeks. It's, it's, it's very, very close together and amazing. Yeah, and the other thing I, I would also mention if you're going out to do extended paddling is definitely, you know, rescue is a must. So I would take a rescue course to know how to get yourself back in your boat. If you're paddling with someone else, how to help someone else get back into your boat, that's a must. The waters up there are anywhere from 55 to 60 degrees. You know, with the two of us had fair confidence that we could get back in the boat put a paddling jacket on, be warm, get out of the elements. But that that's a must skill to paddle in colder waters. And we ultimately paddled fairly conservatively. We, we chose not to paddle heavy weather days and not put ourselves in those positions because we knew we were dressed a little bit lighter than wearing a full dry suit. How many unplanned off-water days did you have on the 88-day trip? I would say we probably had every 
two or three days, we would take a down day. On the main islands, there's quite a network of hiking trails, especially on the larger islands. And I have a love of forest just as much as I do the water. So it was nice to be able to stretch our legs and use those muscles as well. So I would say every two to three days, we probably just took a, a zero day and enjoyed the island we were on. All right. How many weather days? Two? That's a hard Maybe question. three? No. Oh. No, there were way yeah. more than that. We Well, I would say we had a lot of fog delay, so we couldn't leave as early as we wanted to. So there were hours on quite a few mornings where we couldn't leave when we wanted to, but ultimately got out on the water. We had a lot more rain in Canada. Um, we had a fair amount of rain there near the end of the trip, and we were rained in for several days and winds on several days actually didn't keep that track. True exactly, in the end. Let's get into that. You know, you talk, talked a lot about Maine, but how did things change once you crossed into Canada? Oh, Canada was rough. <laughs> I do have to say Canada was rough. It was, I think, the unknown of not knowing where you could go. So New Brunswick and Nova Scotia, the areas where we were, all of a sudden the small little islands disappeared and we were camping on the mainland, which for better or worse, it's very rocky. As I mentioned, the tidal exchange is 25 to 30 feet. So a beach you think you can land at all of a sudden is not accessible. And that added another layer of stress. The other thing that was really different is that Unfortunately, the the beaches were just trash laden. Yeah, it was a striking difference. And it's not in areas where there are people. They're wilderness, not accessible by roads. And, you know, it's trash being washed up from the ocean onto the beach. So you have to clear a site before you could pitch a tent. Um, and I don't know if some of that is the Bay of Fundy is a catchment area and everything goes up into the Bay of Fundy and kind of gets caught up there. Or if it's efforts of, in Maine, definitely so many groups are out cleaning beaches. And that was really apparent. There's very little, you would find some fishing gear, lobster pots, but very little trash on the islands of Maine that we came about. So that was a big contrast in Canada. And then it was later in the season. So we were paddling there in September. And so the wind and the weather kind of caught up with us. And ultimately, that was what made us decide to end our trip. We were just getting battled by the weather day after day after day. So just coming into the fall, that was a little tougher. Yeah, one of the counters with Canada, we didn't have places to camp per se. But as time went on, we realized like the locals saw what we were doing and they didn't really care where we camped, you know, and I kind of felt like safe harbor. We paddle till we can't paddle and then we park where we can park. And in general, people were just really interested in what we were doing and supportive of what we were doing and let us camp kind of where we wanted to camp. The challenge is, is that they weren't like prescribed campgrounds. So, you know, you're, I think one one time we were on a beach and one little wave got us. The tide came up. We thought we were in the clear and one little wave swept under the tent. And so that makes a, you know, it's a challenge. It's a challenge to kind of deal with that. And then, you know, and then also kind of where you're, 
where you're going. We were standing on the beach one day and we were headed towards Yarmouth and uh, I was looking at a map and I said to Katie, you know, if if we went by road, it's 15 minutes to Yarmouth. It was a, it was easily two days left of paddling for us to get there. And she just looked at me and goes, man, that's a mind bender, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> you're, you're, you're going down the coast in kind of these urban places, you know, and we have our perspective from the boat, but it's different when you get on land a little bit. <laughs> but Canada, can, so Canada was a little more difficult because we didn't have the campsites. And I think it was a little more exposed where we were. You know, that Digby, if you can't picture that Digby neck is a peninsula, kind of like the Baja Peninsula that comes down, and it has a couple gaps in it where you can pass through. But on the Bay of Fundy side, I mean, there's just not, there's one good beach there the whole stretch. And so it was a bit of effort in comparison to Maine where you could literally open the app and you could see three or four campsites within a, you know, a couple hours paddle. The other difference about Canada that was fun in contrast because we were on the mainland we we ran into people and the reactions were really fun people were inspired people asked a lot of questions so that was completely different in maine we were we were kind of out on the islands doing our thing and in canada we really got to interact with people and talk about where we'd come from and the further north we went i think the reactions were more and more fun we ran into a gentleman who said, well, where did you come from? We were in uh, New Brunswick at the time, and we said, Portland, Maine. He says, well, where's where's your car? I said, no, it's not. Our kayaks are there on the beach. We came by kayak, and he was just slack-jawed. What do you mean, no car? So it it was fun to talk with folks and, and get their reactions. I think, Katie, you might have mentioned that you got you cut short due to weather. So if you got cut short at 88 days, how much longer would you have gone if it hadn't been weathered in? <laughs> um, I, I think the cold ultimately would have pushed us off, but I could have easily spent another couple of months if we had the weather. It was just incredible. And every day was something different and unexpected, whether it was the wildlife or the land we were seeing or the interactions we had with different people. It was something new and different every day. And our tents really kind of became like home in the beginning of the trip. You play this game, which dry bag is it in? Which hatch is it in? And you don't really have a system, <laughs> a little frustration of, you know, hatch six, is it in here? And by the end, John and I really got into a rhythm of unpacking the boat, setting up camp, taking down camp, cooking. All of that really became a rhythm. And one of the things I really like about being out in the wilderness for an extended period of time is that your body rhythms sync with the sun rising. The sun comes up, you wake up, the sun goes down, you go to bed, and you kind of fall into that sink you know, with the earth, I hearing the waves at night, I think it's just super healthy for us. All those little cricks and I would get some neck, neck and back issues, you know, working in the emergency department and headaches and allergies and all of those went away for me on this paddle. I had zero allergies, zero headaches. And it's nice when you have that extended period of time to just fall in sync with nature. The healing power of nature. That's true. For sure. And then, John, the other thing is 
We got down to the southwest end of Nova Scotia at the Tusket Islands. And for me, I really, that Digby neck area was a challenge for us. And in my mind, I felt like if we can get back to the islands, that'll kind of be the reward for all that effort. And I do feel that way. When we got down to the Tusket Islands, I felt like we could just keep going and have a very Canadian version of the main experience. I felt like we just barely kind of got in there. You know, we did say weather kind of cut it short, but but the other thing that cut it short a little bit was that ferry got us uh, off Nova Scotia back to the mainland where it was a little bit easier for Katie's son who was in college to pick us up. So we saved him, I can't remember, something like 14 hours of driving time <laughs> one way. So, yeah. And the ferry shut down the true. next week for the season. And, so. and and then we were fortunate because then that hurricane went up there the week after that, and that went all the way up to Prince Edward Island where I have family, and they lost power because of that hurricane. So we would have been out on the southern end of Nova Scotia during that. We were fortunate that we called it when we did. So, Katie, what scared you along the way? Um, I think the the two days of heavy winds that we had when I, at about hour three, I mean, we were getting beat by wind and at points I felt like I was making zero headway up against a rocky shore. I was kind of getting the reverberations of the waves from shore and I felt spent at about hour three. My arms felt like rubber, but there was no place to land. So I think that was my most uncomfortable day. I felt like man, if I took a roll in this boat or if I, I don't, I, it would be tough for me to get back in and, and just not having an out there. I mean, ultimately I, you just kind of go into a mode of one paddle in front of the other, just keep going, just keep going. So that was probably my, the edge of my uncomfortability where I felt like I was spent, but there was no place to land. John, how about you? You know, it was probably that same day in the midst of all that, the skeg on my broke, my boat broke. So, you know, you have a lot of these skegs that are in a boat that are like a fin on a surfboard. They have an adjuster near the cockpit and it slides on a cable and then you can put that skeg down in the water. Well, where that adjuster is, that broke. And so my skeg was hanging down all the way. And there was no place to really go to shore and deal with it. And in the moment, I didn't have any bright ideas. Post hindsight, I always do. But it was down, and what I realized is that Katie was fairly tired, and we had a little ways to go. We could see where we could land, but it was a little ways off, and I knew that if I had to turn around, because I was leading the way a little bit to get back to her, I would have had to make a very long roundabout way to get back around because that skeg was all the way down, and that was the one time I felt like this is not the best situation to be in, although, you know, survivable and fixable, <laughs> but I just thought if something happened, this would be a bad time for it to happen. Otherwise, the rest of the trip I thought was great. I think that one of the struggles we have a little bit is that I have a lot of experience. Katie was earning her experience, and then you get a lot of outside voices, and that was a little bit of a challenge for us at time where, uh, like when you come into Lubeck, there's a lot of currents, and everyone said, oh, you got to watch the currents in Lubeck, and from my experience, I know if you watch the tides and the tables and then you're there during slack tide, it's going to be fine. But those little those little voices play in the head. And I remember we finally got to Lubeck and it was this big buildup. And 
Katie was like, there's nothing here. And I'm like, yeah, this is, yeah. you've had more current in your bathtub, <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 but the, the anticipation was, of what people say, you know? Yeah, there's definitely that. There's a lot of anticipation of currents or crossings, you know, Penobscot Bay, people built that one up to crossing, but, oh, it's a shipping channel and it's very, very busy. And, you know, we got up at sunrise and we crossed and it was like glass and smooth. And so there was a lot of anticipation of outside voices from non-kayakers kind of eliciting fears that didn't need to be there, I think. Katie, if you could go back and do the trip again, but you can only go to one place that you went to, what would be that one place? Mm, I don't know if I can share my secret island. (laughs) (laughs) I have one very, very special island I don't want to share with anyone. Um, But I would say the whole area around Stonington is is stunning. There's a lot of different islands. Butter is one um, that's pretty special that's just to the north of Stonington. It's a large island. There's some hiking trails on there, huge expansive rocky beaches. That one's pretty special. John, how about you? When Katie and I did our first paddle up in Maine, we went out to an island called Marshall Island. And I really like Marshall because it's a little bit exposed. It's kind of one of the outer islands, but it's fairly large. So you can camp there for a few days and you can, you know, if you hike the whole island, that's a pretty good day of effort. And we went out to Marshall again and hiked it again. And I think anybody who has a chance to get out to Marshall, it's well worth it. I know that there's a cove on the, I guess it would be the north side of Marshall where in the summer, a lot of boaters, local lobstermen, that's where they go to picnic for the day because it's so beautiful and stunning. It's just really worth making the paddle if you can get out there. It's beautiful. So you filmed along the way, Katie mentioned. So, John, tell us a little bit about the filming. Well, the filming was fun and challenging and educational. Being the first time we tried to film stuff, we had two GoPros with us. I had a solar panel, a 17-watt solar panel that went to a battery that was in a Pelican box wedged between my heels for the most of the paddle. That was fun in the effort of making sure everything was charged. So <laughs> I do that throughout the night, waking up in a panic that I need to plug, unplug something and plug something else in. And then the filming itself was, when you haven't done a lot of that before in your life, it's, it's a little challenging at times to remember to film. Uh, so there was times where I was like, oh, that was really exciting. I wish I would have picked the camera up. And then there was other times where we did a lot of time lapse, which worked out really well. It went pretty well. I think the other challenge is, as you're learning how to do that, is learning how to edit was a big challenge for us. We're still working on that, but we're getting there. Are the videos published anywhere yet, or are you still working through that? Uh, we're still working through that. We have a channel called Seeking Wonderment that we're going to put them up on. I would think hopefully by the time this is heard out in the public that it'll be up and going. I think Katie's got about week eight done in the semi-final drafts. Cool. Well, I will make sure that I uh, connect with you offline. We'll make sure we get links to Seeking Wonderment, and uh, we'll get those in the show notes so people can can see that. That'd be awesome. great. Yeah. A couple other questions. So here's a here's an odd one for you. So I'll let you choose who's going to answer this one. What's the weirdest thing you fought over on the 88-day trip? That we fought over. Yep. <laughs> when you look back at it and you go, that was weird. Why we even, why, why did that, why was that a thing? I think the, we turned into 
old people a little bit, I think. It was hard to hear each other out on the water <laughs> when the wind is in your face and the waves are going. And I think John would get really annoyed with me when I would start to say something and then turn my head and talk away from him. What? <laughs> what? I can't. I can't, I can't hear you. And then he just keep paddling. <laughs> so I think we had some irritations about not hearing each other over the water at times. John, anything different on your side? Or do you care to rebut? <laughs> I, think the yeah, I think the weirdest thing at times is when you, when you paddle with someone and you're with them so much, you, at times you make an assumption that they're thinking the same thing you're thinking. <laughs> and then I'd realize, oh, wait, she's not thinking about that at all. <laughs> Maybe I should talk to her about that as opposed to just assume <laughs> that she's thinking that, you know. And there was a couple times even paddling that that was the case. There was one day we paddled out to a Seguin Lighthouse, and it was a pretty long paddle. And it was earlier in the trip, and so I was a little bit sore, and I was having a weird kink in my neck. And Katie was on my starboard side or my right side and a little bit behind me chasing me and I couldn't turn and look at her that way and it made me nervous because the swells were getting big and there was a couple big motorboats and I wanted to be able to see her at all times in case something was up so you know every as you do it as a team when you're out paddling like this every handful of strokes maybe four or five strokes I'd always make a look to see if it's where she was at and I kept trying to tell her to be on the other side of me, but I didn't express it very well. And my neck was tweaked and I kept thinking, why isn't she going over there? And then I realized like, cause I really haven't told her to go over there. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, I think those are some of the weird ones that you kind of carry when you're not really thinking well, I guess. <laughs> well, this has been a really cool <laughs> trip. I appreciate you sharing it. How can listeners reach you if they've got additional questions or they want to learn more? Well, we'll have seekingwonderment.com will be up and there'll be contact information there. And then Katie has managed our Instagram account, which I believe is seeking wonderment or seeking dot wonderment. All right. Well, I will include that in the show notes as well. Again, I appreciate your time. Appreciate you sharing this with me. And uh, it's been a, a, a fun trip through your 88 day trip along Maine and, and Canada and through Nova Scotia. So I've got one final question for you. And that is who else would you like to hear as a future guest on paddling the blue? Well, John, I have a great suggestion for that. There's a, a a gentleman by the name of Dan Carr, and we actually met him on our paddle. We were uh, staying on one of my favorite islands, Halifax, and he came paddling up, and he was in a 15-foot boat, I believe, and he had a helmet strapped on the deck behind him. And I said, oh, there's something interesting. This guy has done some paddling. If he's sea kayaking up here with a helmet on. I struck up a conversation with him a little bit, and then I've been staying in touch with him via email, and he has been paddling the Maine coast since his 20s. He was on the board of directors, I believe, for the Maine Trail, or the Maine Trail Association. And uh, he, he's just done a ton of paddling. Like when I talk to him, you can just feel the paddling just flowing right out of his pores. And I think he would be a really interesting guy to talk to, specifically about the Maine coast and all the work that's been done up there to get these islands where they are, and then just the great amount of paddling he's done. Well, great. I will uh, connect with you offline, and we'll get in touch with Dan. So again, John, Katie, I really appreciate your time, and appreciate you hearing about your trip. Thank you for joining me. Thank Thanks you, so John. Thanks for having us. If you want to be a stronger and more efficient paddler, power to the paddle, 
is packed with fitness guidance and complete descriptions along with photos of more than 50 exercises to improve your abilities and enjoy your time on the water. The concept and exercises in this book have helped me become a better paddler and they can make a difference for you too. The exercises in the book can help you reduce tension in your shoulders and low back, use the power of your torso to create leverage and use less energy with each stroke, use force generated from your lower body to make your paddling strokes more efficient, have the endurance to handle long days in the boat, drive through the toughest waves or white water, protect your body against common paddling injuries, and while you're at it, you might even lose a few pounds, and who wouldn't mind that? So visit paddlingexercises.com to get the book and companion DVD. What a great experience for Jonathan and Katie. They referred several times to this trip being a gift, and they really made the most of that gift. So often when I ask someone what would they change about a trip, they say they would have slowed down, and Jonathan and Katie did just that and really experienced the, uh, the time. Watch the show notes for this episode at www.paddlingtheblue.com. I will include links to the Maine Coast Heritage Trust and the Maine Island Trail Association. And speaking of the association, keep your eye out for an upcoming episode with the guest they would most like to hear, Dan Carr. They also mentioned videos of their trip, and once those videos of the trip are available, I'll be sure to post those links in the show notes as well. Don't forget to go and see James and Simon and their fantastic video work at onlinesekayaking.com. And if you're subscribing, enter the code PTBPODCAST at checkout and get 10% off just for being a member of the Paddling the Blue community. Also, a big thank you to all the listeners who've taken the time to support the show by visiting our website at www.paddlingtheblue.com and clicking the Buy Me a Coffee link at the bottom right-hand corner of the page. I really appreciate your support, and thank you very much. Next up, I'll be talking with Quinn, Joe, and Jeff, three members of the Stand Up for the Great Lakes team. This hardy crew is working on completing stand-up paddleboard crossings of each of the Great Lakes. We'll talk about their progress and what's coming up. I'm looking forward to sharing their story with you right here. So until next time, thanks again for listening, and I look forward to bringing you the next episode of Paddling the Blue. Thank you for listening to Paddling the Blue. You can subscribe to Paddling the Blue on Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Please take the time to leave us a five-star review on Apple Music. We truly appreciate the support. And you can find the show notes for this episode and other episodes, along with replays of past episodes, contact information, and more at paddlingtheblue.com. Until next time, I hope you get out and paddle the blue.